Greetings, friends. It's your old pal Kevin here. Just letting you know that this episode of How Dressing was brought to you by the lovely Steve Ward, who became a backroom patron and requested the episode. And you can too by heading over to patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling and becoming our backer. We have a variety of tiers to suit any needs from $1, which gets you access to show notes, $5, which gets you access to our entire back catalog of pay per view reviews. That's around 23 hour long plus episodes reviewing all the main timeline shows going back from SummerSlam 2015 as well as some little goofs and weird episodes along the way. $10 gets you access to our monthly live stream. $50 allows you to request an episode of any topic that you would like to be discussed here on How To Wrestling. And as well, we're just launched for $100. You can have a plug at the start of How To Wrestling. If you're interested, head over to patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling for more details. Thanks to Steve Ward for the request. But for now, enjoy this episode of How To Wrestling. It's How To Long Matches. friends and welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first wrestling podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. Hello everyone, I'm resident explainer of things, Kevin, joined by my partner in this educational podcast about the world of wrestling. And we really are in the danger zone today because we're talking about long ass matches. I am joined of course by Joe Graham. Good morning. That's very fucking whoa. Good morning. I've been listening to a lot of Radio Four. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good morning. Like. Yeah. So what you have to do is like say say my name, but like yeah, it's, it's Joe Graham, um, and then you carry on talking, and then I say good morning, but like slightly late, so I interrupt you by mistake. And then at the end of the episode, you just go goodbye. <laughs> That's a very British reference, there, Joe. Radio Four. <laughs> Good lord. I mean, me and Adam talked about Hull being the city of culture on Smackdown Crawl recently with the Attitude podcast, but that is the most UK reference ever, I think. We did get some people tweeting in hashtag how to howdy and how to hi. Yeah. How to howdy did get more. Uh, oh, so I should be saying how to howdy? I'm not sure. Or how. Hi. Howdy. <laughs> Hello, I'm Joe. <laughs> How are you, Kevin? I never ask you how you are. I, I'm very well, thank you. I mean, I I, I can't complain because it was my birthday recently, mm. and I got loads of very very nice messages from people on, on the Twitter and whatnot. Did you get any nice gifts? Oh, I was literally yes. just about any to. Nice uh, gifts for anyone? <laughs> I was just Did about to nice praise you before you went in there with your your show. Is there any any praise for me? <laughs> yeah, I did got a lovely gifts actually, Joe. Oh yeah, tell tell me about those lovely gifts. I, I got some lovely wrestling theme gifts. I mean, I guess I should just you know, explain the wrestling theme gifts that I got, particularly. I mean, you can talk about all of them if you like. Well, I did get a little I Luke Harper. I don't mind. You don't mind? I, mean, I did get a little Luke Harper. Uh, it's the greatest thing that, that's ever happened. A lot of love for, for Luke Harper at the moment on how to wrestling, Facebook, Twitter, and, and Instagram. I'm sorry I couldn't get him a little pair of sunglasses like for him to wear. Well, funny you should mention that because we actually do have a little pair of sunglasses which we made. Yeah, I made them for Roddy Piper. Yeah, way back in Wrestling Move Monday, before you even had watched They Live, I was like, trust me, this is funny. <laughs> My little sunglasses for Roddy Piper. I also was very fortunate to get a birthday cookie, which had my favourite tag team, The Revival, on it. And that was pretty amazing. Can you please tell me what it was like going to Millie's Cookies with a picture of Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder and being like, yo, 
put this shit on a cookie, dog. It was an interesting experience, to say the least. Because I've never even ordered a giant cookie from Millie's before. Let alone one with her, the hardest hitting tag team in NXT yeah. history. <laughs> and there was a little bit of a worry as well I had with regards to intellectual property. Because on the Millie's Cookies website, they say you have to own all the rights to the images you use. I just on the Millie's Cookies website. It's like, don't even try this shit because it's like a picture of Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa with a load of cookies. <laughs> That's like... good. Dash and Dawson. <laughs> no, no. Wrong. Just you and Dave Mouse going, oh, we can't get our cookies customised the way we want to, I guess. <laughs> I mean, were, were they? did they recognise them, the, the person at the counter? No, they didn't. So I had to basically go up to the counter and be like, look, I've seen you do these cookies. I'd like to put an image on, but I don't own the rights. Is that all right? And they were like, yeah, that's fine. Never heard of that being They're a like, thing. Look, Joe, we go hard all, all day, day, all night. All night. I'm no a brass flips. motherfucker, motherfucking to fight. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. So the the Minnie's Cookies people were fine about it. They were could not care less. They <laughs> literally didn't even give me a weird look. But when I went to go pick it up, there was a, a, a woman waiting next to me at the counter ordering her cookies. And, um, oh, is it ordering her revival themed giant cookie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, her Dash and Dawson cookies. No. So the Millie's Cookies people showed me just that like, quick, this is what it's going to look like. Is that all okay? And the, the woman with me at the counter was like, oh, that's so sweet. You did that. Is that is that for your boyfriend or whatever? Is that for your little son? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's for my boyfriend. It's his birthday tomorrow. You know, I thought I'd get him a nice Aww. nice gift. He, uh, he asked me for this. She was like, oh, that's sweet. A nice picture of you two on a big cookie. <laughs> and I had to then make the decision of, was I going to correct her? And inform her, no, my boyfriend didn't ask for a nice romantic picture of me and him on a cookie. He asked for his two favourite wrestlers from the heel tag team. Uh, I just thought it really funny if you were like going to have to admit, go, yes, I am professional wrestler Scott Dawson. Or no, actually, I am professional wrestler Dash Wilder. And yeah. uh, this is me on a cookie. And uh, we often pick up pictures of ourselves on cookies. So I did opt to tell her. I, 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 was, I was honest. I was like, nah, it's his favourite wrestlers. Now, but I will say, it's not like Kevin was like, oh yeah, I want a big cookie and Dash and Dawson on it. He said it was a joke, but I thought it would be funny if I actually just did it. It was, it was funny, it was also delicious as well. It was very delicious, but I am a little bit worried by the fact that, okay, there was, this was a stranger, yeah. but she thought we really did look like Dash and Dawson. I mean, I was standing <laughs> right there. I don't think I look that much like either of them. I mean, at a push, I guess you could say I kind of look like, I mean, Dash Wilder, if I was, like, I mean... He looks like a lot more, a lot stupider version of me because he's not got, you know, brainiac glasses like I yeah. do. Not got as thick a beard, you know. Not got as as commanding a voice. I'm sorry, Dash, but you've not. I wouldn't listen to a podcast hosted by Dash Wilder. But Joe Graham is Scott Dawson. It may, it may explain my infatuation with you, maybe, because mm. I love Scott Dawson. The only thing I love more than Scott Dawson is you, so maybe that would explain it, that I you two... I think it would. ...one and the same, like. Yeah. And, and Joe's very mean as well with her mm. opponents in the ring. She always isolates a body part. <laughs> it's, it's true, and I genuinely believe in no flips, just fists. <laughs> in the bedroom. <laughs> And uh, Joe's, Joe's dad also got me um, Wrestling Madness, a hardcover wrestling book from 1999. You can tell where I inherited my gift-giving ability. Seriously? Well. My dad had like less than 24 hours. He was just like, he just called us up the day before. He was like, hey, I'm just coming to visit. I was like, oh, it's Kevin's birthday. He was like, oh, okay. And then brought this like fantastically cool wrestling book that he picked up in a charity shop. 
He's like so good. It's impressive. It's really impressive, yeah. The gift game in the Graham household, it is strong. I'm just saying. House Graham, they know the game. It's true. So today's episode is how to long matches. Now this was one which was requested by the, I don't want to say masochistic, but definitely he was doing this with an air of let's cause misery. <laughs> Steve Ward sent us this request on Patreon as a $50 backer asking for Joe to watch long matches. Basically him being of the opinion or wanting to know if new fans can stomach or tolerate longer form matches. And as such, we came up with a list of arbitrary rules to see if we can really pin down what makes a long one-on-one encounter. So this is an interesting one because Steve specifically said, and rightfully so, that the impact of this episode and the relevance of it was very dependable on when we recorded it. Mm, Yeah. Steve specified that, and rightfully so, that we had to record this sooner rather than later while I was still technically like a new fan. Yeah, I guess compared to me, you'll always be a new fan or at least a newer fan. Yeah, but I I do see his point in that I think the longer I'm watching wrestling, the less educational this is going to be. Yeah, that's true. And I think the point really being is that uh, there's generally a, a theory amongst us older wrestling fans that the longer the match goes, the less likely it is that a newer fan is going to enjoy it or appreciate it. Because new fans are basically like children. Yeah, basically. We have very short attention spans. We need like Steve Austin drinking beer, driving trucks. You need to have a nap in between, you know, every 10 or so minutes. I mean, it's not your fault as a new fan that this has been perpetrated, this myth. I think it really is. Oh no, I think it's accurate. A lot of this is because the WWE, the main output of wrestling, since the late 90s have kind of pushed this idea that you know, people don't like the long matches. They want to see the the kind of the stuff surrounding the matches, the spectacle, the story and whatnot. So do you agree with this kind of myth or this idea that's out there that new fans don't like long matches? I mean, I think that's a huge generalisation. Because yeah. obviously fans vary, new fans vary, old fans vary. But I think it is true that on the whole, new fans won't enjoy or appreciate long matches as much as older fans will. And there's, there's a reason I think that, and that is because I have noticed the longer I've been watching wrestling, the more I appreciate a varied moveset. Mm. And it's something obviously I did like when I was first, first watching wrestling, but I couldn't identify what moves were new to me and mm. why I liked them. The longer I've been watching, the more I've been able to kind of recognise, oh, I've not seen that before. And that's exciting. And I think that comes into play in longer matches because Mm. you do have to have that variety. And obviously you've got to have a lot more of it when a match is an hour long than, say, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You haven't got as much opportunity to have a variety of moves. I think if you're going to have your standard 10-minute match with your top good guy and whoever the bad guy is or vice versa, you are going to see... You know, the formula come out a lot. And a lot of times in wrestling, people don't like seeing that. People always label John Cena with his five moves of doom. Like, how dare he just have this one sequence where he does these five things. But I suppose that's the trouble. When you've got a finisher that is five moves or whatever, and the match is short, you've got to fit in those moves that you're known (laughs) for. Exactly, yeah. But when it is a longer match, that's when the opportunity comes out to, like pull out moves you may not have had the chance to do in like several years it's interesting because like i've always just assumed like definitely that newer fans don't like longer matches and 
When I've shown a lot of people wrestling, I've always gone really self-conscious if the match starts to get a bit long in the tooth. Mm. And the wrestlers seem to be at a point where it's kind of, and we have everyone now, and you know, the crowd maybe are buzzing, and then all of a sudden the person watching the match is kind of like looking at their watch or looking at their phone, kind of going... What's going on here? And you're like, no, you've missed the maison scene. You've missed the, you've missed the real amazing bit. And because oftentimes, I don't know if wrestling tells its story as clearly to new fans as it does to uh, to older fans. Well, I think because a lot, like I was saying, like so, a lot of the storytelling is through certain move sets, mm. which is like because like, there's been loads of instances. Dan- How to Daniel Bryan was like a perfect example of that because we we saw a couple of instances of him copying other wrestlers moves and that's part of the storytelling is like him being a heel if you're a new fan and you're not familiar with the source material as it were (laughs) you wouldn't know what that is referring to and why that's clever yeah that's true and i think that kind of it's the same kind of thing with with long matches yeah i mean with this one were you like dreading this doing these matches (laughs) i mean it's obviously we've watched the matches now we just after finishing watching the the fourth one we spread this out over a week we tried to keep them close together if at all possible but i I mean we did have some rules which was you know don't watch them back to back but were you dreading the idea of these matches because our rules were 45 minute plus has to be one-on-one only no gimmicks or anything like that so no like multi-man no like big teams no royal rumbles or anything like that were you scared of this kind of purity i was scared because there are often in i mean i I have a really short attention span a lot of the time i am kevin will verify this i am often on my phone when we're watching matches so they have to be quite interesting in order to keep me attentive yeah so i was a little bit worried because obviously with with how to wrestling i do try and keep my attention as much as possible so i don't miss anything so it's not like you know terrible for the podcast so i was worried that we'd have to watch some kind of shit boring match with like i don't know i feel bad always picking on big show but he's an easy target i mean are the wrestlers or are there matches even which you have memories of being so fucking long or like really dragging and you know seeming like they were there for 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 too long or anything like that from watching earlier I mean, it would be really hard for me to identify like a certain match, like Bloody Blah versus Bloody Blue at Wrestle Kingdom ninety five. <laughs> you doesn't bow well for the Wrestle Kingdom match later on. I forget that Wrestle Kingdom is actually a thing. I was trying to make it all up. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be hard for me to identify like actual specific matches that were very long. But like rest, certain wrestlers, I always find their matches like drag on too long the, the slower style seem to remember there being one with the undertaker at some point that i watched um that one with roman reigns and triple h felt long but i don't know if it was i think every time we've watched triple h you have labeled him as being someone because remember we watched triple h and dean ambrose last year as well we thought that went on too long yeah. triple h and sting yeah. and these weren't actually particularly long matches i think it was just like a slower style that's the so, thing. So yeah. I find it really difficult to tell if a match is actually long. Unless someone tells me how long it is. Yeah. Well, that's the, one of the ideas we had here. We're looking at some of these matches. So we've got four and we sent out the, the, the call on Twitter and Facebook for how too long matches. We've whittled it down to four. I've tried to get a variety of styles, a variety of eras, and also a variety of companies. So we've got some stuff from NWA, some stuff from New Japan, some Ring of Honor, some WWE as well. And a lot of different wrestlers involved in here so we can kind of see the different players and the types of long matches the one thing these all have in common is that all these matches are all considered to be absolutely excellent and in one case the most excellent match that has ever existed or ever will exist 
as of this week anyway. So what I was doing with these, in addition to those silly rules which I mentioned at the start, it had been 45 minutes and one fall to a finish and all that, I did as well with each of these ask Joe at the end, after he watched it, how long Joe thought the actual match was. And then we can compare that to the actual running time of the match to see if these seemed longer or shorter than they were. And then we can do some you know, brief statistical analysis at the end. We can plug it all into SPSS and see if Joe enjoyed long matches or not. <laughs> we got a lot of really amazing suggestions. But one of the ones that was suggested by and far the most, and I was really shocked about this, was from a random Raw in 2007. And it was only after I kind of got around 10 suggestions of it, I was like, oh yeah, I think this match is actually really, really amazing. And I remember looking up on it, reading some reports and going, oh yeah, shit, I remember this one. This came out of the blue. It was from Raw in 2007, from April, just after WrestleMania 23 in the Battle of the Billionaires. So we- that's the one with... Trump and Steve Austin. Yes. Right. So at that pay-per-view, Shawn Michaels and John Cena did a wrestle. And am I right in thinking this is also shortly after Cena was at ECW? Yeah, this would have been maybe around six or so months after from How to Cena where he wrestled Rob Van Dam in ECW. So this is the height of John Cena can't wrestle lol. And if you want to hear more about that, do check out How to John Cena, one of our first episodes. So it's baby Cena. An old man Michaels. I'm really excited about this because I know that you're a fan of Shawn Michaels. I am. And we have seen him in a variety of contexts. This match was big because people pointed to this match as being like the start of, you know, people kind of going, this guy can wrestle. John Cena can have great matches. He has been in awesome matches. Let's cut him some slack because people were... Very harsh on big match John at this point. They were saying, you can't wrestle to him. Chatting it non-stop. Hated the boy. They did. Big boos for Big Match John starting this one off. This is the height of the negative attitudes towards John Cena. Basically, think about Roman Reigns now, but a little bit more energetic. That's the kind of hatred that we're dealing with here. What we're going to do with some of these longer matches is look at some of the tropes or some of the kind of things you can expect to see in long matches and maybe some of the roles that not just the wrestlers themselves play, but also like the announcers and the referees and stuff. The commentators this match are trying to really frame this and set this as a, as a kind of, you're going to have a long match. Jim right. Ross uses the phrase, settle in, folks. <laughs> get a big chair, you know, get yourself a snack. This is going to be an amazing long-ass match. And what I think was important about this match at the time watching it was that people didn't necessarily know that it was going to be a long match. And that was something I was wondering if that's something that impacted on any of these matches when you were watching. Like knowing that you were going to be watching a long match. Did that kind of change your perception of it going in? It just made me more intentionally look out for like signs of it being a long match. So this one is kind of like exactly what I expected it to be. Mm. Starts off very slow. It's a lot of kind of holding your arms out. Oh, is he going to touch? No, he's not going to touch him. That would be too interesting. (laughs) Oh, is he going to do a wrestling? No, he's not going to do a wrestling move. That. That would be too interesting. See, that's that's our chain wrestling which we have here at the start, where they're doing all these different. And kinds I like of I like chain wrestling. That's when true. Yeah, yeah. When it's done really well, I enjoy it a lot. Like Jack Gallagher does a lot of that style. Yeah, I remember Drew Gulag yeah. and Zack Saber Junior doing all the kind of map based stuff. Yeah. I mean, it is a slow start to this match. I think there's a the idea with this is that if you start off slow and you kind of you establish to the crowd that this is the kind of this is the pace it's slowed down which means that later on when you start to ramp it up and start to do more stuff that's when 
you kind of get the crowd to that special spot because if you start off as like a house on fire and then later on you try to do your big comeback and you're kind of just around the same point where you were. But you don't have to start off that slow. No, I guess this is a real old time perspective on how to start a wrestling match. Like this is what I thought all the matches we were going to watch would be like. So kind of the, the feeling out process. Really slow. Like if you had this as a chart, it would be like, a line, basically. <laughs> Very slowly going upwards. Now, they are trying to tell a story here with this. So I'm, I'm going to be playing a lot of devil's advocate here, or, or wrestler's advocate at least, trying to explain why they're doing the things that they're doing. But a lot of the reason of this slow feeling out at the start and this slow wrestling is because they knew that the fans thought that Cena couldn't wrestle. Cena couldn't do this kind of thing. Cena could just do, you know, big clotheslines and brawls and throw people around and stuff like that. So the idea here is to start to tell the story that even though John Cena is not known for this type of wrestling, that you shouldn't underestimate him. And he can actually hang with Shawn Michaels. Because Shawn Michaels, you see, starts to get kind of frustrated at the start where John Cena, who he doesn't think can wrestle, can get out of all these holes that he's putting them in. Mm. So that's what they're kind of trying to do there. Although I'm not sure how necessarily clear that is straight not away. Not clear, not clear at all. <laughs> Honestly, I um I encourage everyone to to read my notes if you're a Patreon on Backer because this will tell my story a lot better than because I don't want to just read word for word what my thoughts were. But but do check them out. But basically, are there this, lots of sleepy face emoji? <laughs> not quite that bad, but it was at the it was at what I assumed to be the 20 minute mark before. There was a big move. Wow, really? You thought it was that long? Yeah. <laughs> this match is slow. I know they're building a story, but it's slow. Hopefully this will be one of those instances where it all pays off in the end. I guess we're at 20 minutes now. Oh, there was a big move from John Cena. <laughs> this is like Sam Chaplin and Lord of the Rings all yeah. over again. <laughs> exactly. Tolkien's trying to craft a world here, Joe. That's why he's doing the side headlock on Sauron for so fucking long. <laughs> We get loads of insightful commentary and they run out of things to say at the start, such as, if one of these guys hits their finishing move, they'll probably win. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> but one thing I do like about this is that it's so not the style to have this like kind of mat wrestling uh, anymore in WWE. It's, it really is harkens back to an older time. You think? Well, particularly say... at this point oh, in 2007, point. yeah. Right. Not so what... this point as in 2016. 17. 26. 2017. <laughs> you forget what year it was. I always forget what year it is. <laughs> so yeah, we get a little bit more of it in 2017, but back then it was kind of, this is one of the first times you could be like, holy shit, John Cena can actually do some of this here, Matt Reston. You rarely get a chance to see that in this day and age. When they start to quicken the pace in this, this is when you can tell when they're going to start trying to amp it up a little bit, which is when they're doing all the slow, slow, slow moves and then all of a sudden, bam, they'll tease the finisher. Like, oh, will they hit it or anything like that? Now, the modern style, there is a lot of hitting of finishers, whereas in this, they tried to hold back on that a little bit. There's an old saying that um, Terry Funk has in terms of your pacing and wrestling, which is slow down, slow it down, slow it down. And even when you think you're the slowest you can possibly be, slow it down again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Cena finally at around, I think it was the uh, 10 minute mark and he thought it was the 20 minute mark. He starts busting out some new moves. He starts hitting like neck breakers and stuff like that and starts going for near falls and starts bringing up the crowd. And again, when you bring the crowd down really slow, you can start to amp it up and bring in these moves. And that's how the crowd starts to get drawn into it. And I will say a lot of that works 
Much more so if you're in the crowd than if you're watching at home. It was something I was wondering about a lot with these matches, was I do think it would work better. Although having said that, often when you're at wrestling shows, you're sitting in an uncomfortable steel chair. <laughs> Listen to a guy making misogynistic comments in front of the other. Often people nearby smell weird, <laughs> the sticky floor. <laughs> You can tell the class and wrestling show that we've been going to recently. We're going to Fight Club Pro soon, though. We're hoping that it's going to smell really nice in there. I've heard it's one of the nicer smelling indies that's out there at the moment in the UK. We get the booyah punches. There's lots of cool things here they start to do, which you see in these longer matches, which is, you know, when one guy is punching and the crowd goes, yay, the other one goes, boo, yay, boo, 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 yay, yay. And they're kind of, they're messing around with the crowd. They're, they're playing with them. Mm. At the time, I remember us all as fans thinking, Ah, look at that. We hate Cena so much that we're booing every time he punches. That's going to get inside of his brain. And like we thought that we were ruining the match for John and making him feel wow. bad. Of course, you know, in retrospect, we realize that John would be like, oh, we should do the yay boo now. Like, yeah. He's literally like, yeah, no, you guys don't do the yay boo. I'm doing yay boo later on tonight, so we can only do it once. <laughs> Cena dives and misses at one point and legit looks like he kills himself. He goes flying into the ropes like a big bag of rocks. Yeah, it's scary. We get as well, of course, the big 10 count spots, which another big part of our longer matches when people are both knocked down and like trying to reset the crowd almost, you do the 10 count. So both guys are down. If we don't get to the count of 10, the match will be called off as a draw. So who can get to their feet first? Now that doesn't really happen so much anymore because anytime anyone has to count in wrestling, they just go 10. Yeah. So I think they may have actually ruined this. It can't, you can't do this anymore. The 10 count spot. A few people have complained about that, actually. You've been watching wrestling for like, you know, two years. One of those years, people didn't do 10. And now one of the years, they are doing 10. So you can see real before and after. It doesn't bother me at all, but I totally understand why it would bother some people. Especially seeing as it is, it has its purpose doing the, the counts. Yeah. I mean... I, I thought that it was the most annoying, stupid, hey, I hate it, how dare you, No, don't you dare disrespect wrestling. And, and we went, yet. And yet, we went to the UK Championship. And there and you we went, were. 10, 10, 10, I like the number 10. <laughs> <laughs> John Cena is very grunty in this match. Yes. And I will say, one of the benefits of watching long matches is seeing the wide variety of interesting noises that come out wrestlers as they start to go down the stretch. Anything past 25 minutes with John Cena sounds basically like Hank Hill. <laughs> he does get hit and goes, at one point, it's fucking amazing. Bobby! <laughs> Shawn Michaels dies to the outside and gets caught by Big Catch John. Um, when we were watching this match and I started laughing incontrollably, that was why, because of the phrase Big Catch John. Big Catch John. <laughs> Big Catch John. Uh, he's the number one wrestler, number one fisherman in all the WWE. <laughs> His stardew level fishing <laughs> is, is out there. He's see, caught all the legendary fish. Yeah, Cena's got the iridium rod like, yeah. you know. So the new story of the match starts to develop and it laid down the stretch, which is Cena's arm is sore and Shawn Michaels starts to work it, knowing that John can't put in his finishing moves if his arm is sore but like three minutes after he hurts his arm he forgets he's hurt his arm <laughs> it's funny because like, I, I said to you you know there's a big criticism at John was that they had a match at WrestleMania 23 and you know his arm got worked over and then he forgot about it mm. I was like so this is a few months later let's see if he learns his lesson and you're like no. oh look he's still 
There he is, using his arm. I will say, it is like shooting fish in a barrel, but with wrestlers, if you tell someone, that lad's meant to be selling that specific body part, like 90% of the time, wrestlers forget. Yeah. Like, that, yeah, after a while, it's... Just... I mean, I totally... I bet I'd forget if I was a wrestler. It must be hard to keep track of something, if it's not in pain. I get like a little marker and write a little red X on the one that I'm after to be sore. Exposing the business. It's underneath. Like the ref, the referee can pass a blade to cut yourself. He can pass a what? little sharpie, a little sharpie to to write down X. This is the sore one. This like. is the hurty arm. So John Cena hits his finisher, the AA, which was known as the FU back in these days, pre-PG. John Cena told everyone to go fuck themselves, basically. And we get our first big kick out. And what I love about this is that it's a TV match. So you have John Cena, it's the big finishing move. One, two, kick out, what the fuck? And then we go to commercial break. Mm. And that's really, really cool. Like a lot of the time back in the day, some of the territories used to really take advantage of TV to tell the story. They'd be like, oh, you know, these guys are still wrestling, but the TV show is going to be over in 10 minutes, folks. Like, what's going to happen? Like, oh shit, like what's going to, you know, this is really, really, we don't know what's going to happen if this ends you know, we don't know, we'll just tell you, I guess, tomorrow what's going to happen with the results of the match. And <laughs> using the commercial breaks to feed it in, I think that's really, really cool. It that's tells a great story. We come back from commercial break. Cena keeps bopping Sean. Sean gets flung over the top turnbuckle and does a 50-do that made Joe jump out of her seat. Yeah, Cena barely even touched him and he, like, flung himself over the ropes, like, Ric Flair or something. It's is is Ric Flair esque this thing. He goes all bouncy bouncy into yeah. the ropes like that. It's very beautiful indeed. These guys have been completely spent now down the line. They're really retired and all these like big moves are being punctuated by like lengthy moments of like I am dead and weak and my physical form is waning and they're they're on the outside and Michaels tries to pile drive Cena on the steps and essentially murder him and then they brawl on the announce table and I love how Jerry and Jr were genuinely jostled. Like, Jerry was like, you know, his coke was, was nearly knocked over. They're like, oh, God, they're like rolling all over him. <laughs> <laughs> STFU in the ring. So this is the same move that defeated Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, you said? Yes. So they're kind of playing that into the story of this match. Of like, this beat him last time, and he's right in the same position as he was last time. The match has been going longer than the last match did, so surely this is curtains for Shawn Michaels. Like. But doesn't John Cena do the STFU always because that's his finisher that is yes but that particular i mean he did beat Shawn michaels with with his finisher before i guess that was the story what was he supposed to be in with if not his finisher <laughs> i don't know he could uh just a punch that would be really <laughs> funny if he just like hit him and then got the pin that's it so he manages to ooze his way out of it michaels this is an incredible sequence where we get towards the end here where it looks like scene is about to hit the fu again so there's a big massive kick out and Jerry Lawler just screams, what a damn match this is. And you can like, I love when you can tell the announcers are enjoying the match they're watching. That's always a really good sign that you're seeing something special. So we get an amazing, amazing counter from the FU to Sweet Chin Music and Michaels wins this match. An incredible match, I thought. One which everyone was going apeshit about, sending us loads of tweets and comments about how much they loved it, how it was like their favourite kind of long match. It's the longest match in Raw history, apparently, like the longest TV match. Wow. One thing that really kind of helped this was that there was meant to be another match on afterwards later in the night, originally scheduled, which was Randy Orton versus Edge, but this match ran so long that that was it, like, the episode of Raw was over. So it's like, sorry, folks, that was it, like. Right. So it was, had they added bonus of being an unexpectedly long match. How long did you think this match was in length? 
I mean, I know the limit is 45 minutes, so I'm guessing 45 minutes. Okay, it was 52 was its running 52. time. 52. Huh. So it was slightly longer than you thought it was. Yeah. So what did you think of the match then? I didn't like it. What? How come? I thought it was boring. I thought I, the storytelling didn't apply to me. The whole thing about referencing previous matches that I haven't seen. So fucking what? Yeah. Um, oh, what? The, the match isn't supposed to run over? Oh, well, this is for how too long matches. So spoilers, it's going to be at least 45 <laughs> minutes. I didn't care about it. I would not watch it again. So the fact that it picked up down the stretch, that didn't kind of forgive the lengthy bit at the start. I don't feel it did pick up that much. I mean, yeah, it got faster paced. But it didn't didn't do anything for me. I didn't care about the outcome. Yeah. Didn't care about the storytelling. The moves were fine, but nothing nothing that incredible, to be honest. Wow. So, like, was it a case that you just think that the story wasn't there? Or was it that there wasn't enough kind of big, crazy moves that made you go, holy shit, or...? I think it's probably a mixture of the fact that it was telling a story which I wasn't a part of and mm. I didn't understand. I lacked the context to enjoy this. Yeah. Which again, I think it's partly because I am a, a new fan. Mm. I can appreciate that it is clever. Like on paper, I can see, of course. Okay, so they paced it out. They told the story. They kind of, they referenced to future matches and past matches. That That's, yeah, that's, that's all well and good. But it just, it didn't feel like it needed to be that long. Yeah. And it wasn't terrible. It just was mediocre, I thought. Like, there were wow. some fun highlights and a couple of cool moments, but it was just really spaced out between a bunch of headlocks. So was this kind of, like, almost what you fear long matches are? Yeah, or this is what of... I thought they'd all be like. And I, I was disappointed with this because I love John Cena and I love Shawn Michaels, so... I must be saying I'm really shocked at that because I put this one on first because I was like well Joe loves Sean Joe loves John that's really hard to say 10 times <laughs> fast and I thought you know wow this would be a really like you know been requested so much I thought of you shooting it you'd love this one no I think I think if it had told a different story that maybe I, I understood better mm. I would have enjoyed it but yeah I think when it's just referencing loads of stuff that you don't know about it's just like okay thanks for reminding me I'm not part of this cool club it's weird as well looking back now at these matches longer matches where the story is John seen as the underdog as opposed to you know he's had long matches with AJ that you were a big fan of this yeah. last year and the story was actually John Cena's like the final boss and he's yeah. he's the top guy so I wonder if it's just if it's that's a case of as well if it's difficult to watch Cena believably in these underdog scenarios anymore in 2017 no I don't think that's it I yeah. think I could believably have John Cena as an underdog I'm, yeah, actually, no, I'm I'm 100% sure I could, especially if he was against someone like Samoa Joe. Yeah, yeah. Like ah. a proper heel. But yeah, no, I just kind of thought, meh. How many stars did you give us? Three and a half. Whoa, three and a half stars. Yeah. Joe Graham is harsh. I I'm mean... not harsh. Genuinely, though, <laughs> like, because I know old fans. I always feel weird calling people old fans. Old fans. <laughs> but like, I, I think old fans... And I saw how obsessed everyone was with this match and how like, it is one of the best. But like, if you're a new fan, I would love to hear your thoughts on this because mm. I, yeah, I didn't enjoy it. You know, likewise as well. I mean, I, I was watching this and a lot of these matches I was watching them with a very open mind because I think, honestly, folks, is if you're trying to sh get your pals or your girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever into wrestling, one of the worst things you can do is just like blindly assume that someone's going to love something and kind of... So I was trying to be very open with it, with, with these ones and keep an open mind. I can understand why, you know, a new fan mightn't like this. But yeah, if you were a new fan who checked this match out, do tweet in 
uh, using hashtag hate song matters. Let us know how you got on with it as well. If if it was kind of if it dragged for you as well. So had you not seen this match? Oh, I had seen this match live back in the day. Oh, yeah. okay. And uh, I I really enjoyed it. But again, uh, how much of that is me enjoying it objectively as a match, or me kind of looking back and going, you know, what, I love this match because this is the first time that I got to see John Cena wrestle for an hour and just seen Shawn Michaels and John Cena, and you know, just kind of out of the blue pull out this kick-ass long match. So I wonder as well if. Like, because we remember we watched um, Brett versus Owen Hart, mm. and that technically was referencing a very long, ongoing story. Yeah, that you true. did require a little bit of, of knowledge of outside the match itself. And that honestly was a more complicated story and a more nuanced story than this one, which is just John Cena and Shawn Michaels don't like each other. But <laughs> I felt that they managed to tell that story within the match itself. Yeah. Like they managed to kind of. I think it was a mixture of the commentary, the wrestling style itself, and the way that Bretton Hart was so familiar with each other's wrestling styles. They were able to tell that larger story in a short space of time. I feel that Cena and Michaels together, and again, I realise I'm a new fan, so maybe they did do this and I just didn't get it. But yeah, yeah. It didn't feel like they'd told that story within the match. Their story is harder to tell, though, I guess, because Cena and Michaels are both good guys here, essentially. And in a long match, when you've got the bad guy do the bad guy things, taking yeah. shortcuts, telling that story, like, oh, and it's so easy for him, for him to put across his character. Whereas Cena here, it's funny saying, oh, they're both good guys, even though one guy gets the shit boot out and the other guy is treated as a god. But in the match, character, kayfabe-wise, they're both meant to be good guys. That's why you had a lot of the story of one-upsmanship and just pure wrestling as opposed to the chicanery, which maybe is more fun for new fans. Yeah, maybe. Coming up next was a match which I had to pick a Ric Flair match. I knew I had to. And it was really, really hard to narrow it down because I did want to maybe pick one of his ones with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, which are considered to be some of the greatest matches of all time. Flair, of course, being known as the 60-minute man from back in the day because as a standard, Flair would wrestle hour-long matches that was his thing I thought and god this is such like a new fan thing to say but I genuinely thought until we watched this match that the reason Ric Flair was called the 60 minute man is because he lasted that long at the Royal Rumble <laughs> because that's what Chris Jericho calls himself he's a 61, he's a 61 minute, minute man, man yeah. I thought that was a reference to Ric Flair in the Royal Rumble well Flair did last like a roughly that time in a Royal Rumble as well as that mm. but it wasn't like a once in a blue moon like Flair back in the day in his heyday he would travel around the country. He would wrestle 60 minutes. And the reason that was is because Flair being the bad guy, there were 60-minute time limits on matches. So instead of Flair beating up the local hero, Flair would usually go to a 60-minute draw with them and then he could scrape away with the title and the, the, the local guy would look really great. And Flair prided himself in able to do a full-length match with anyone. Case in point here, Sting, who is not the icon who is being slowly killed and horrifying us with... <laughs> Sorry, the only reference we have for Sting is me and Joe watched Sting versus Seth Rollins. It was like our second review for our Patreon pay-per-view reviews, Night of Champions. So, so when Sting came out of nowhere, he was just like suddenly there. Yeah, and he was a chat. Old man. And he nearly got killed by Seth in that match. Yeah. He hurt his neck and it was really scary. I was dreading watching this match. After Shawn Michaels and John Cena turned out to be really disappointing for me. And I was like, oh, here's Sting, who I do not have like any... I, I dislike Sting as a wrestler from what I've seen. I've only seen him like twice, I think. So I'm a Triple H at WrestleMania. Yeah, and then <laughs> Seth. And I figured, seeing as he didn't do... Like, his match with Seth was, like, fine, from what I remember. Yeah. But it wasn't, like, mind-blowing. And I figure if you can't do a mind-blowing match with Seth Rollins, you can't achieve anything. And Ric Flair... 
I don't know a huge amount about him, obviously. All I've seen him in is celebrity wife swap. <laughs> and accompanying Charlotte as well. Yeah, that mad, awkward ride-along. So I kind of had my... I was really expecting nothing. There was part of me here that thought there were, you know, 30 or so years of youth that... Um, I thought this might be... Like, work in his favour. Like. Literally an hour of headlocks. Well, what was funny about this is, and one of the reasons you could argue that that fear was was justified, is that Sting here was pretty much a rookie. Sting was not the world champion, not the top guy. He was a young guy who had a few good showings and had a bit of fire. And this match essentially, which was from Clash of Champions in 1988 for the NWA title, this match was set up to, to make Sting. And people always point to Ric Flair in this match as having made Sting. And Sting always loves Ric Flair kind of and, and debts a lot of his career to him for, for this very match that we're about to watch. I was really interested to see if this one would, would work because older wrestling, as we have seen on the podcast sometimes before, can struggle to hook in a newer fan because the moves are a little bit more simplistic, the spot's a little less high, the drama... Not as much. I was wondering about that because this is NWA. Yes. Which, obviously, as we discussed on How to Piper, NWA was kind of almost like the ECW of its day, wasn't it? It was considered more innovative than a lot of other wrestling companies. It was definitely between that and WWF at the time. It was definitely the more hard-hitting of the two. So, yeah. So I came into this kind of then not really knowing what to expect because on the one hand, before Piper, I thought all wrestling in the 80s was boring shit. Hogan Andre. Yeah, Hogan Andre. (laughs) But then now after Piper, I don't know what to expect with old wrestling yeah and I know that Ric Flair famously bled a lot (laughs) but then I know that I didn't enjoy Sting so I was kind of expecting this to like maybe be like an hour long of headlocks and Ric Flair inexplicably covered in blood so Steve Ward really wanted this sort of question to cause pain and suffering and I'll be honest when I was going through all the matches most of them was like oh Joe will like this Joe will like this this match was put down for you not to not to like (laughs) you're so cruel you <laughs> plotting there together. How can we make Joe miserable? Um, because like the idea was, I don't want to do Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat because those are like five star matches that are well known. <laughs> and it's kind of like I've seen those matches and I know how awesome they are. And I thought this one might be just kind of time's not been kind to it. It's a long ass match. It'll drag. But you haven't seen you hadn't seen this. Match. I hadn't seen this match now. So you were just you were just assuming. So I hadn't seen this match, so I was kind of assuming that. And I knew a lot about this match. I knew that Flair made Sting look like a million dollars in this. But you still thought... Wait, so you thought this was going to be a bad match, or you thought I wouldn't like it? I thought it would be... This could sound awful, but I thought this would be a great match that maybe, as a new fan, you might not enjoy in the same way that I would. I see. Whereas the previous match, you thought was a great match, you thought I wouldn't enjoy. Yes. Okay, interesting. <laughs> the long story short on this one is that Kevin doesn't know jack shit about fucking anything, basically. Including Joe. <laughs> Including his girlfriend's taste in wrestling. Just quickly before we, we actually go on to the, the match, I wanted to point out the fantastic 80s special effects in all the the pre-match segments. I mean, the Clash of Champions is a TV special and WCW spared no expense, Joe. You literally had like CGI belts floating across the screen with lightning. It was fucking badass and I loved it. 
I want all WWE programming to be accompanied by these sound effects <laughs> and visuals. I will say as well, Clash of Champions, you are needlessly difficult to find on the WWE Network, fucking hidden away in the vault. This match was really, really interesting just seeing the format of how much wrestling has changed in the last 30 years. Jim Ross? Little baby Jim Ross, he's adorable! Did you even recognise him as being Jim Ross? Like? It took me, no, I did recognise him, but it did take me a couple of seconds to be like, I recognise him and I don't know, what... hang on, wait, there's something, he's missing a big hat. And the voice is so much higher as well. Yeah, completely different voice. You're not God, there's Jimmy. Jim Ross, you're the high pitch. Like, sound like Jerry Lawler there. He sounds a little bit like Jerry Lawler and Jim Cornette. Like when he goes, Sting! And Sting comes out there and Sting gets him! I fucking love Jim Ross at this point in time. It's incredible energy. It was weird as well. There were judges. Yeah. Never seen judges in wrestling. Well, I mean, how else are you meant to determine if there's a winner or a loser, Joe? The judges are there in the event that there is a draw. But there wasn't like, there wasn't like a Robot Wars or something where you feel like, <laughs> Three judges. You got six judges. Yeah, we had to have celebrity judges in there as well. The panel of judges, like on X Factor. Yeah, you got to have your star of the Wonder Years. You know, Jason Hervey's got to be in there. You know, some lady from TV has also got to be there. I love there's a mixture of like crusty old NWA men and like cool. There was a cool TV boy people. there who I'm pretty sure was from <laughs> some kind of band. <laughs> What I love most about this as well is that like the match is like literally just about to start and then randomly Ric Flair's manager got put in a cage and suspended above the ring. No, it wasn't above the ring. It was above the crowd. Even more dangerous. That was so scary. Imagine being in the crowd and you've got like a manager literally above you in a cage. You better hope that they secured that properly. So how would you describe Sting here? Because he's a lot different from when you saw him. When you saw him, he was obviously with the white and black face paint and he's the kind of the crow type character. Here, he's a little bit different. He looks like the ultimate warrior a little bit in the colours. Oh, very interesting you should say that. I think it's the ultimate warrior. It's the colourful one. Yeah, no, you're like very, very accurate Looks there. like a bird. Oh, in a few episodes, you know, down the line, that what you said there is going to make loads and loads of sense. Oh, exciting. You're making your own kind of premonitions I know there. nothing about the ultimate warrior at all. But yeah, Sting was very colourful here. He kind of looks like action man meets the 80s so he was like really colorful 80s style almost is it new romantic where they're yeah. colorful and have makeup on and <laughs> weird clothes but also he's got the body of an action man i wrote down sting looks like such a fucking wrestler he does that's exactly it he looks exactly like a wrestler and rick flair as well he looks like a literal cartoon character he looks yeah. so weird we start off with a woo and a off with both of them shouting out their signature noises which yeah, I love it's like a, a woo off the camera keeps cutting to the judges who are probably judging the woos what's oh. better a woo or an ow well that was an excellent woo that was a 10 that woo there I mean if we are judging them the woo is objectively better than the ow I'm just saying you know it is how do you mean as in Sting's yell is not as cool as Ric Flair's yell it's not as cool no Ric Flair's <laughs> woo is better so we start off with tests of strength, which is an opportunity, like most things in this match, for Flair to make Sting look like a total badass. There's loads of cool jumps and throws, and the pacing of this right from the very beginning is so fast. It's not... Like, if you watched this and you didn't know it was going to be a long match, you wouldn't think it was going to be a long match. Because they, yeah. they go for it right from the beginning. It's almost like they think it's going to be 10 minutes long. It's so weird that there is this, like persistent thought and it, you wouldn't mind it's like the wrestlers themselves are the one and like wrestling commentators are the ones who kind of perpetrate it which is oh things are too fast these days you gotta slow it down and yet you have this 
It yeah. It's so quick. Like, they're not doing... I think the difference is they're not doing loads of flips, loads of big, crazy moves. Like, you know, you have Flair bumping big mm. for simple moves, but they are still bouncing around. They're still working up a sweat. I think, yeah, that's it. Instead of, like, jumps from the top rope or jumps out of the ring, you've got lots of throws where... And obviously because of Ric Flair, because he is Ric Flair, yeah. he, he has to throw himself everywhere. And you've got lots of really cool big jumps. Like, both of them have legs of steel. That's what's so cool is that, like, when Sting has a little flurry, it's not like, oh, he hits a clothesline. It's like Sting will fuck Rick across the ring. Yeah. Big clothesline, big press slam, and the whole time Flair's going, ah, Jesus! Ah, God, no! Don't do it, Sting! That was one of my favourite things about this match is, honest to God, just Rick first screaming in agony. He's so vocal and I love it. I love it so much. He was literally like begging for his life at points. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, fucking no, hell. And begging ah, off. Like. Ah. <laughs> A lot of wrestlers are not very willing to do that anymore, which is to kind of to beg off to that extent. Oh, I wish they'd do it. Oh, fucking hell. I loved it. I, I honestly loved it. I think Flair only gets away with it because he is so energetic and he can keep up a pace like no one else like Flair was always known as being a cardio machine and you get to see it a lot in this match it's interesting though because like he obviously is in very good shape but he doesn't like you know, just to glance at him you wouldn't know it like yeah. the, the body shape of the 80s for a lot of wrestlers I've noticed is a little bit more and I don't do not mean this in a body shaming way but it's flabbier yeah it's not like the the zero percent body fat that you've got of a lot of wrestling mm. these days and his face gets red so quickly because I think he's got quite pale skin. Yeah. So when he's screaming in agony and he's bright red in the face, it looks like he's absolutely exhausted and in so much pain. Flair carries being tired yet oh, still yeah. being able to go. What I love as well about this is that the announcers, they are not saying, you know, well, there's an hour left in this show, so this match will probably be around an hour long. They're going, yes, this is the, you know, the main event, but... You know, obviously someone can at any time, folks, and they, they list off, there's like three or four backup matches that are going to be put out yeah. should this match end, which I think is great because, you know, a lot of times if you're watching a wrestling show and it's kind of like, well, here comes the main event and there's 40 minutes left, mm-hmm. you know, suspension of disbelief and all that, it does kind of fuck it up a little bit. Definitely. I think they should go back to doing stuff like this. It's one of the reasons why people loved the Lesnar-Goldberg Survivor Series match so much is that they went into the match and there was like 20 or 30 minutes left on the show and it ended after, you know, a minute. Yeah. Anyway. But that kind of storytelling <laughs> really loses its impact when you've got Goldberg. <laughs> you've not- Spoilers, it will be as short as you kind of thought it would be. If you're a background Patreon, you get exclusive access to Joe's despise and hatred of Bill Goldberg. I fucking hate Goldberg. <laughs> Worth the $5 alone, folks. Ric Flair is a Pokemon. He screams woo all the time. Woo! woo! He screams woo when he's done something. He screams woo when he's about to do something. Yeah. The one thing he doesn't scream woo is when he's being hurt, I wish he would go woo woo. He gets the shit knocked out of him. Sting doesn't fall for his various tricks as well, which I like. Flair keeps begging off and going, please, or don't. And he's like, no, no, full force the whole time. I love it. Something really interesting I noticed here was the bit where they start counting the punches, where they they get the punches and it's like, one, two, three. I thought that was a relatively modern thing. I didn't realise they've been doing it for literally decades. Oh, yeah, the old old ten-punch spot, which Sting refuses to go to the full ten the entire night, which is the most 
most infuriating thing in the world. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. It's like having knives and forks upside down on a table. It's really? Sp- I hate it. Do ten punches. I didn't even notice. Just do them. Do the ten. Don't do five. Who wants to count to five other than Big E Langston? No one. Stop it. You were talking about Ric Flair's woos. He has many woos. Yeah. The one in this which I particularly love... Which is when he has Sting in any way prone or any way vulnerable. His aha woo, his ooh. I love that one. Particularly brilliant. Sting starts stinging up. Uh, that's why I'm, it's like being in Hulkamania, except you're seemingly not a racist. Mm. He stings up as he's being chopped by Flair. Flair, those chops are vicious. Oh, yeah. Did you notice uh, Sting's chest was a little bit... Yeah, it looks sore. It was bleeding Very at one sore. point, yeah, actually. Was, yeah. Yeah. Flair's chopping away at him. He goes from being like the supreme confidence to the supreme cowardice. At the drop of a hat, like, he goes from like, I've got him to, oh no, I'm going to die. And that's what's great about this match. It's the complete roller coaster. Yeah. And there's never a slow down moment. They keep going this pace the whole time. It seems impossible. I thought coming into this that the pace would start off fast and then they'd get all blown up and tired and then it would slow down and have a disappointing end. That's basically most wrestling from the 80s and WWF followed that. Yeah, like, and know. especially seeing as like, these guys, well, how old would Ric Flair and Sting be at this point? Oh, Sting would only be in his 20s, Flair and his... Really? He's in his, in his 20s here? God, 30s, he looks yeah. so much older than that. Yeah, no, Sting's, Sting's a young boy here. Oh my God. Yeah. Is he a hunk here? Yeah, he is a hunk here. A bit of a hunk, yeah. I can see the appeal of Even when his uh, rat tail... His horrible rat tail. It's funny because you were swooning over him and then he turned around. (laughs) (laughs) Cut that thing off. Flair starts working on Sting's leg. And I love this. This is like around about the 20, 25 minute mark. We're getting towards the home stretch of the match. Or at least when Flair thinks the match should start to come to its conclusion. He starts working on the leg. And why did he start working on the leg? Because finishing move is the figure four leg lock so he's gonna start working towards it you know he's gonna start putting in the work so he can put him away win the match go home and do some cocaine like he wants to i don't think i'd have appreciated that though if you hadn't pointed that out because obviously i didn't know what brick flair's finisher was yeah and the announcers didn't even do it as much because i think the announcers are like well you obviously know that because it's wrestling and, you know, you obviously are a wrestling fan if you're watching this. You should you, sh- you should know this. You <laughs> of course know? you know his finisher. Jim Ross and commentary. Up your game. <laughs> <laughs> People at home, come on, read a fucking book. <laughs> so we get the figure four leg lock locked in. Flair uses the ropes constantly as the referee is checking on Sting and... Something I've only gained to appreciate from Ric Flair from re-watching some Flair matches with you for How To Wrestling is that probably the reason why Ric Flair even does the figure four leg lock is that it's the only submission move where the referee's gaze gets pulled away so often because Sting's arms and shoulders keep falling to the mat so the referee has to keep going over and counting mm. you know, one, two and then looking at his shoulders at which point Flair can put his arms on the ropes and getting that unfair advantage and start cheating. I think he only usually does the figure four leg lock is because it is the most opportunity to cheat. It's a great heel move. It yeah. is. Like, it's the most cheat-friendly yeah. <laughs> wrestling move that there is. Yeah, you know, it was so interesting watching this match and seeing how much of Ric Flair Charlotte channels. It's really obvious watching this that she would have watched old tapes of him. Yeah, yeah. And just, oh, it was so interesting. What was really interesting about this is that we watched this match when we were watching some Fasting. We reviewed yeah. Fasting for Patreon. And when we were looking at Charlotte and Bailey from Fast Lane reviewing that for the bonus episode, we it was so 
obviously it was apparent. very obvious, yeah. yeah. Just the showmanship of it, the heel moves, the, the vocalisation. Making the opponent look like a million dollars. Yeah, and also the fact that, and this is so much more impressive, I think, when Charlotte does it, is Ric Flair will just lob himself places. And Charlotte does that too, but she's so tall and big, it's so much more impressive. Yeah, like her so, body ugh. shape is a lot less, like, tossable. Let's Ric just Flair's, say. like, almost a ball shape. Like, <laughs> he's got quite short arms and legs, so he can tuck himself in if need be. Charlotte's so long. Yeah, it's true. It's really, really impressive. I love when Flair has him in the figure four leg lock that Sting, when he's, like, begging and he's in pain, and he just sits up and he beats his chest and goes, ah! <laughs> and then... So you can tell that Sting is in this advanced state of Stingamania mm-hmm. because he stands up and just pure adrenaline lets this very peculiar phrase out of his mouth as he screams, Now you know how to party or what? Why did he say that? I don't know. He's just, is this gimmick about partying? He's a surfer dude. From, he's a surfer? He's from he's from California, IA, you know? He's uh, what are from, the Beach Boys. I, I guess he is. Like, I wonder if Brian Wilson likes Sting or not. Brian Wilson and Sting. Brian Wilson writing a song about Sting under the uh, watchful eye of Eugene Landy. <laughs> I want I want that to happen. Like slightly sad Brian Wilson. I guess Sting's gonna win his match with Ric Flair. I don't, you know, I don't want to think about sad. No. It's just that it's late eighties. I can't think about happy Brian Wilson late eighties. No. It's, it's it's not true to form. You know. <laughs> Flair now goes oopsie doopsie over the turnbuckle. Um, that is the phrase I have come up to describe Ric Flair. Because mm. every time we've seen him and he flies over that turnbuckle yeah. and Charlotte does it as well, mm. you lose your mind. I fucking love it. I I think it's so insane. Sure, Michaels does it kind of a bit as well, where he'll like lob himself places. So impressive. What kind of worked against us here on our format was that the ring announcers were saying how long was left in the match because yeah. there was a time limit. But that really added to the drama because there was a 45-minute mm. time limit and then they go, five minutes left. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Sting is like, holy shit, I'm going to kill this guy. Yeah. And he really starts laying it in. He goes for his big moves. He goes for the Stinger splash in the corner and misses spectacularly. And he then manages to squeeze out a near fall on Ric Flair. He comes so close to beating Ric. And Jim Ross just screams, we're talking inches here. We're talking inches. He gets the splash. He puts Ric Flair in his finisher, the Scorpion Deathlock. That's a cool name for that move. It looks it looks familiar to you, that move. Oh, yeah. It was basically just the sharpshooter. Yeah. That's what it's called, right? Well, yeah, so, I mean, it's the same move that Natalia yeah. and Owen and yeah. Bell did. It's the same, right? Yeah, it is the same, yes. I mean, they probably would have you but think But he gives it's it a really cool name. Is, is Scorpion Deathlock cooler than sharpshooter in your mind? It's a, yeah, it's a cooler name, definitely. Yeah. Oh. But, but I think... The sharpshooter is a more accurate name. It doesn't look like a scorpion deathlock should look. I just love that, like in the like the last dramatic move of this match, and we were all like, you and I were both like sitting forward, and he puts it in. He's go, hang on, isn't that the sharpshooter? <laughs> <laughs> you know, almost Sting's moment was ruined here by you thinking that he was nicking someone's move, and could be further from the truth. In this, such a dramatic moment. Flair is just hanging on. He just doesn't tap out. Doesn't tap out. And then that's it. The timer goes. And I was so confused. It was like, what's going to happen here? Yeah. That, that's kind of. I, part of me was like, oh, I will explain straight away. But that was part of the drama back then, which was, you know, the announcers like, what's going to happen? Did he tap? What happened? Did he give up? And then everyone's confused. Sting is like, did I win? 
Flair is assuming he's won. Luckily, they plan for this, though, because they have six judges. They have six judges. A nice even number of judges. It's almost like they knew it was going to end with a... Is this a dusty finish, or does it not count as a dusty finish? No, a dusty finish is when it would have been like, we declare Sting the winner, and then someone comes and goes, actually, no, it turns out that Flair had his hand on the oh. rope, or the time was off, or you know something like that. So, no, you didn't win. Rick won. So when you tease the actual win and announce the win for the good guy and then switch it around and give it to the bad guy instead, that's the dusty finish. Could you not kind of say that's the case though? Because they do rule it a draw. So Flair keeps the title. Yes. But Sting got the finisher move in. He doesn't win the belt though. He doesn't win the match. Hmm, it's okay. funny, kind of when they have your six judges there, you kind of go, You really should have asked Jason Hervey there, guys. I mean, do you really that sixth judge who didn't even wear a fucking suit to the Clash of Champions and all he did was tie it up? <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of this match? Fucking loved this match. I came into it thinking it was going to be shit. I, I was totally turned around. Yeah, you don't know me at all, Kevin. I don't know you. It was really fun. I thought it would be slow and old-fashioned and boring, but it was amazing. It was really, really good. It was fast-paced, but it wasn't, like... It wasn't constant. Because this was, like... It was it was a long match, but it just... The pacing of it was fantastic. It was really good ebb and flow. There were high moments, and there were headlocks and sort of rest holds and things. So, I don't know. It was just fantastic. It was really entertaining. And yet, the most wacky move that they did was Flair getting a slam like off the top yeah but it's the way he got the slam it's the way he falls and the way that Sting throws him and the ah it's all other bits as well I was just totally convinced that seeing as you know your favourite matches the last year have been you know Styles and Cena those types of ones where it's like it's big marquee big moves kickouts. we're doing you know we're, we're working at an incredible pace but we are doing big moves mm. whereas here I was I just assume kind of you know I think it's because it was a variety of moves I don't yeah. know I don't know I just really enjoyed it and yet it. you say that there's a variety of moves and yet Sting went back to the well with the throw flare out of the corner clothesline big slam maybe that's all it five takes point. they did the same bits I over guess. and over in this maybe that's all it takes to entertain me is just throwing Ric Flair around <laughs> Did you come away from this appreciating Sting more, do you think? Absolutely. Oh, my God. Ah, oh, he's a star. He's. I can totally see why this is considered the match that makes his career, and I can totally understand now. Because like, all this time, when Sting came back and I first started watching, I was like, okay, he's not that good. Why is everyone love him? He's just old and weird. Don't understand old and weird. But this, I can understand it. Like something you found in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> No, this was absolutely... I loved it. And out of all the matches watches, this is the one everyone needs to see. Ric Flair's so good. Sting is so good. I now get it. I get why people love him. Fucking hell. A draw as well. No and less. a draw. And not only like did I love this match, but like I was thinking about this match hours and days later. You were, yeah. It's like, wow, I really loved that match. You were actually... And this is funny. Our next match we're going to talk about now is Kenny Omega and Okada from Wrestle Kingdom this year. And when I suggested that we watch this match, you were excited, not because we were watching the Kenny Omega Okada match. You told me you were excited because it meant that we're closer to you talking about Sting and Yeah, <laughs> really excited to talk about it. Because yeah, I just did. I thought I'd hate it and I loved it and it was so good. I don't even know why I loved it so much. I just did. So how many stars would you give it? I gave it four and a half out of five, which I feel is slightly cruel. It almost deserves the five out of five for me, but I... I Why wouldn't you give it five out of five? You said nothing but lovely things about it. I know, I know. 
I just, I, 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 I'm slightly hesitant to give a five out of five. I guess I'm like Dave Meltzer in that respect. <laughs> You're exactly like Dave Meltzer in that respect. <laughs> You're like Dave Meltzer in respect that you got Dash and Dawson put onto a giant cookie for your. Yeah, you know, that's probably what he would do as well. But like out of like every single match we've ever watched for Heresy Wrestling, this is one of the most important ones, I think. Wow. I don't even know why. So one for you would say for new fans you'd want to new fans, match. old fans, people who've never watched wrestling. I love this match so much. And I didn't have to tell you there was a story, a you know, bit of a story going into this, obviously. Yeah. But I felt like any of the story I could tell you was told in the match as well. Mm. Here's this young guy who flares, taken kind of lightly, but not really. But fucking hell, everything flared. He tries all of his tricks. He tries everything. It doesn't work. This guy just keeps coming and he can't beat him. So he just outlasts him. What a brilliant little story. So good. Kind of almost shows you that you don't necessarily always need that context if the story within the match itself is good enough. Yeah. You know, there you go. Because they did make allusions to you know, matches down the line and stuff like that. And this like they did in the first one. But maybe it just came together a little bit easier here. I almost wanted to re-watch it so I can understand better why I loved it so much. I do definitely think this means that How To Flare... Oh, I'm so you know, excited is, is now. Be coming up down the line. Finally excited for How To Sting. Yeah, we'll just have to watch him and Seth again and make you terrified mm. beyond belief. So our next match, which was oft requested. Very, very odd. I think it was the most requested match... Of all the ones, mainly because people immediately realised this match fit our criteria, which was from Wrestle Kingdom 11, January 4th just this year, New Japan Pro Wrestling with our IWGP Heavyweight Championship on the line. The cleaner, Kenny Omega, representing the Bullet Club and the Elite, taking on Okada. This match is one which people have been talking about ad nauseum. They've been talking about it so much, and I had staved off of watching it at all, despite a lot of temptation. Now, I will say off the bat... I do not follow New Japan Pro Wrestling religiously. I've not followed the careers of Okada or Kenny Omega religiously. I am a Kenny Omega fan. I've seen a lot of the stuff here and there. But this match, Joe, caused a little bit of, I don't say controversy, a lot of notoriety. Do you know what it was about this match that made everyone go hoop de hoop Of course. It's the match that introduced the Just Eat rating system <laughs> with Dave Meltzer. So this match was rated almost as highly as a Salford Tandoori yeah, uh, in Dave Meltzer's mind. So, you know, and we ate there last night and it was really, it's really good. really good. Really, really good. Yeah. I'm going to ask, before we get into the meat and veg of this match, did that hang over this the proceedings here that six star I mean, oh yeah i went into this expecting this needs to be the best match i've ever seen on twitter did you see a lot of chat about this match on facebook did you see a lot of people talking about this on on the old social media yeah i saw a lot of people either agreeing or vehemently disagreeing with dave Meltzer's rating so basically dave Meltzer rates everything out of five stars Right, normally he doesn't even get to five stars because he's really strict with his mm. rating system, and he gave this six stars out of five, which I thought was really weird. And a lot of people I saw either thought it was they agreed and they thought it was like the best match ever, or they vehemently disagreed and thought it's ruining wrestling. Oh God, I love I love him. Anytime anyone is accused of ruining wrestling, generally Joe tends to enjoy what's happening. So. Yeah, I, I love the downfall of wrestling. <laughs> That's what we're here for, folks, is to slowly cause the decay and destruction of the industry of professional wrestling. Yep. i got to ask you off the bat, Kenny Omega's Terminator gimmick attire when he's coming out, better, worse, or the same as Triple H's Terminator wrestling attire? It's more subtle, and it's more like traditional Terminator with the, the jacket, which is cool, rather than the weird metal head 
arm pauldron bits which isn't cool <laughs> now Kenny Omega didn't have a lot of Terminator mannequins surrounding him when he came out though does that take away from the uh, the Terminatorness of this no it added to it they were blowing in the wind I mean I like the way that he said that it was subtle and that he came out and it was kind of you know he had the gun the shotgun and the jacket I didn't know it was a Terminator thing until you said Really? Yeah. Wow. Unlike Triple H, you literally had the Terminator oh, yeah, and Schwarzenegger Oh, yeah, fucking Arnold go, Schwarzenegger coming out and introducing it. Hi, guys. Are you looking forward to WrestleMania? Yeah, Triple H. Here he comes. Terminator Genesis in cinemas now. It's, it is not very good. This match also. Mm. <laughs> uh, stings okay, but... <laughs> so... <laughs> One thing that was definitely obvious in this match throughout and definitely harkens back to the previous match that we watched was there was a there was a relentless pace in this. Mm-hmm. There was a speed and there was a deliberacy behind everything that was being done in this match. Then honestly, you know, I've watched you know, I've watched a bit of Japanese wrestling in my time, I've watched a lot of Ring of Honor, I've watched a lot of strong style. These guys, when they were doing their moves, Omega and Okada, literally looked like they were trying to hit each other as hard as they could. There was a force behind some of the moves where it looked like genuinely that they were going to kill each other at times. And not in a kind of a, oh, that's so unsafe type of a way. In just like a, I think I suspended my disbelief in this match more so than any wrestling match I've watched in the last few years. I really, really got into this, let's just say. I think the word to describe these two is graceful. Mm. Would you agree with that? Oh, totally. I wrote down that Okada is like a magic flying wizard, and I stand by that. <laughs> He's a magic flying wizard, and Kenny Omega is a vicious muscle swan, because he has mm. got speed, grace. Oh my fucking god. They do start off with the kind of the mat wrestling stuff, but... But it's but, very quick. Mm. It's not the slow kind of will they, won't they ever touch. It's the kind of, kind of like almost like amateur wrestling, like mat based. You said it was like MMA It style. did, yeah. It really felt like that. And these guys would have some, some training in that regard. Going through this match blow by blow is going to be very, very difficult. Oh, I didn't even bother. I, I literally, I apologise in advance for my notes on this section. They are short. Because I didn't want to look away. Because it's so quick. You look away, you're going to miss a huge move. I will point out, however, I do have a few, what I classed as WJMMs. These are Wojo Momos. What's a whoa, Joe, Momo? It's a moment, or Momo, where Joe went, whoa! And like I'm talking about whoa with seven O's. And there's a <laughs> few of those that happened. There was a foot stomp onto a table. Mm-hmm. The table was laid on top of Okada. And this was not like a Dudley Boys table. This was not a WWE-style table. It was a thick, proper table. There was You pointed out that there was a me- the metal bar. Oh, yeah, it was a proper table. Oh, my God. Horrible. At one point, he throws him through the table, and the, the wood bit breaks, like splinters beneath him, but you can see the metal bar, the steel bar that supports the table structure, solid, doesn't oh. move. When he hits that right on the back of his neck it was shocking so i mean like you you had okada getting squished underneath this table with a foot stomp but what you're talking about there is a big back body drop where omega went out of the ring Mm. over the top through that table i genuinely thought that he would be like he'd be dead now he's wrestling like in wolverhampton next week so he's obviously not dead wrestled today so (laughs) i just i was really i was absolutely couldn't believe that there was two other moves as well which particularly blew my mind the super dragon suplex hang on i'm gonna get some toys so i can explain to joe 
Let's get the first one. Just casually get the Luke Harper figure. <laughs> when he, he had this suplex uh, where he had him in this full Nelson type position and he threw him back like that off the mm. top rope and he killed him. It was absolutely horrible. The other move that he did that was also particularly terrifying and amazing was the reverse Frankensteiner, which is where he grabbed him from behind like that and drew his head into the match. Oh, I saw everyone talking about that move today. Oh, really? How so? The New Japan Club. No. Oh, the New Japan Cup is on Cup. today. Yeah. That's the one. He did that move in GIF form. It was very impressive. Constantly, the story of this was that Omega was trying to hit his finisher, the one-winged angel. He was, like, obsessed with it to the point where it was, like, like a guy in a wrestling game trying to hit a move. He's like, fuck it, I'm doing it. No, I have to show my mate this cool move. I am doing it. Oh, for <laughs> fuck, he reversed it again. How did he reverse? How did Road Dog reverse my finisher? I'm on special. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so he, he kept going for it and he kept getting it reversed. And he never hit his finisher, but Okada hit his finisher, the Rainmaker clothesline, three times in it. Wow. I fucking love that so, so much. I missed that because I didn't know that was his finisher. Yeah, honestly, the commentary on this, we had Steve Carino and Kevin Kelly who were bored to start off with and by the end they were just going wow <laughs> and it kind of felt like I had a live web stream of just a couple of lads watching it as opposed to commentators professional comment- commentators yeah, yeah being paid to fly to Japan to commentate at one of the greatest matches like in living memory mm-hmm. it, I know there is other commentary out there and this is just the version that we happened to stumble across uh, I wish that I had better commentary than the one that we got. But the sequence in the end where he hit this tombstone pile driver where he spun around, he jumped and he span and fucking hell. Was it the greatest wrestling match of all time? I don't know if I could say that. From my point of view, it was certainly a match that got me out of my seat and got me going, holy shit, more so than than any match I can think of in recent memory. It really blew my mind in terms of the variety of moves and how impressive they were i'd say there's nothing i i have no complaints nothing i would say oh but didn't do this or that or the other my only personal gripe and i am being very pedantic is that i i like a bit more storytelling mm. but i i appreciate i don't follow new japan pro yeah. wrestling there probably a bit was a bit of story that i just missed i'll be honest in, in the japanese wrestling oftentimes a lot of the story is you know, the story here was is that Okada is the champion, the face of the company. Omega is the top heel, has I been see. trying to get that belt, has struggled, has crawled his way up to the top and wants that championship belt. And like, you know, the story is simply the good guy doesn't want that guy to represent the company and Okada wants to keep the title. It was it was a simple story in that sense, yeah. which I think almost worked to its benefit. I wonder, I wonder what your thoughts of this are about showing this to someone who'd never seen wrestling before and what they might think of it. Really, I'd be really interested to. And actually, I was thinking about this with um, our illustrator Dan because oh, yeah. he he watches like no wrestling. The other day, we were talking about WrestleMania, and he thought WrestleMania was called Hulkamania. <laughs> when the wrestlers enter into a state yeah. of Hulkamania, it's WrestleMania. That's what WrestleMania is. <laughs> That's how little Dan watches wrestling, which I. I I love that he does all our illustrations and he knows like nothing about the wrestlers a lot of the time. I'd love to show him this match. Yeah, I think that's see. a really, really amazing idea. We should totally yeah, do that. Yeah, it's like a little bonus episode. Just like, what do you think of this match that's supposed to be the best of all time? I mean, for you as a new fan, how did you find this? I loved it. I mean, everyone who listens to this podcast knows I adore my flip doos and there was more than enough of that. I, I thought it was absolutely amazing. Like, it, this is kind of like the style that they're trying to almost emulate a lot in WWE at the moment. Yeah. And I think the 
these two are the best in the world at doing this type of match. But like on the flip side of that, I can understand why people don't like it. And I can understand why people think this is destroying wrestling. Because if all wrestling matches was this, I think wrestling would suck. You got, do actually, yeah, you, you make a really good point there. Which is, if you are doing matches like this, I mean, where do you go from here? Yeah. They kind of, they pulled out everything and more besides. There's so many times though with, with big matches where that it feels like that at the end yeah. of it. You know, I remember watching the end of... You know, WrestleMania 25 going, well, what else can you do in a wrestling match? And yet here we are, you know, nearly 10 years later and we're doing stuff which seems to blow shit out of the water from 10 years ago. Yeah. I guess it all comes down to the individual cards, you know, the individual shows. Would this match have been better or worse for you if you just watched three hours of similar wrestling? Probably not. In isolation, though, I thought this was incredible. Yes. I personally... I don't know if I would say it's the greatest match of all time, but I definitely wouldn't be sending angry tweets to people saying, how dare you say this is a six-star match <laughs> and the greatest match of all time? I mean, where would you rate this bad boy? So I gave this five out of six stars. Um, <laughs> so was... you just changed your scale now. You're now onto a six-star rating scale. Well, just for this one match. <laughs> so it's a five-star match. Out of six stars. But in this one instance... It is a six-star rating. Sorry, scale. was that not? I thought that was the rule. We had to rate this this match out. Dave Meltzer rated out of six stars. <laughs> it's the rule now. Is that not? Well, I originally was going to give this match six stars out of a possible seven, but that was—I right. don't know if that was cool or not. Mm. If we were, we were all on board with that. No, I'm not so sure about that one. No, <laughs> but, no. Um, I thought it was an absolutely amazing match. I think in terms of enjoyment, I actually enjoyed Sting versus Ric Flair more. Mm. But in terms of like how looking at a match and going right. No, that's actually better. Yeah. This, I can see why it's... Well, you went into this match with people telling you this is the greatest match of all fucking time. But even time. if I hadn't, I think I would know, just yeah. by comparing those two, that's a better match as a whole. Yeah, I mean, there is more athletics, there's more yeah, grace, there's more poise, there's more everything in this. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. more variety. It's just, it just is, it's better. But I still enjoyed the other one more. <laughs> I mean, there is a part of me that kind of goes, you know, if you can get that kind of reaction doing... You know, ten punches and tip tosses and clotheslines. But the beauty of wrestling is the variety, I yeah. think. And you can't, like, if all matches were that Sting and Ric Flair match, wrestling would suck. That, again, it's it's not about having all of one thing. It's about having all these different types of styles and all these different lengths of matches and all these different types of wrestlers. Yeah. That's what makes it so entertaining. Did this match live up to the hype? I think so, yeah. That's probably would say most things you need to know about this match. Yeah, that. it is as good as people say. And... and it's very easy. Wrestling is one of those things, I don't know if you've noticed that when everyone is like talking about something as being the best ever, it really, really can get in its way, you know. And we watched this, it was on a, what, a Friday night. Yeah. I had had a very long, busy week at work. So had Kevin. And I think just to kind of eat some Salford Tandoori, settle down with this match. It some was Some six star Tandoori. Some and six some... star Tandoori, <laughs> some six star wrestling. <laughs> Certainly very entertaining. We had a great time. There you go. I would recommend everyone check this one out. And yeah. let us know what your thoughts are on this match. Yeah, I'd love to know. New fans, I always want to know what new fans think about matches. Definitely interested in that for this. But also, older fans who are maybe... And I know I keep saying this, even though I now know it's totally wrong and ignorant. But if you've come from that sort of style of slower-paced wrestling, do you think this is destroying 
wrestling as an industry. Yeah. And I'm also interested to know as well anyone who's like who's thinking about getting someone into wrestling if this is a match that you would show because I've, al- I've always said like you know, don't show them the TLCs don't show them Hell in the Cells mm. you know don't show them gimmicks but this match I think one of the most important things to bear in mind about this other than that you've got the stuff at the table yeah. this is two guys in the ring telling the story using the wrestling ring and that's I think what's most Im- impressive about it. I'd love to do a classical wrestling with this, Ooh. but I don't know if music exists that's fast enough. <laughs> Genuinely don't know. It'd be like one of those really weird, like, abstract jazz orchestra, like, you know, that kind of Flight stuff. Like the bumblebee. Yeah, that kind of a thing might work. Coming up next, our final match, and one which I thought we had to include, our boy, the American Dragon, Daniel Bryan Danielson, defending his Ring of Honor World Championship against Roderick Strong from Ring of Honor, in 2005. Couple of reasons I wanted to show you this one. Number one, having read Daniel Bryan's book recently, which I can really recommend is a great, great read. The man's got a little bit of an obsession with long matches, Joe. <laughs> Something we didn't maybe touch on as, as much as I would have liked to when we talked about how to Daniel Bryan was when he was Ring of Honor World Champion for around about a year, he kind of took it upon himself to almost move the dial in terms of what the standard of wrestling is now and kind of change popular wrestling or kind of change what mainstream wrestling was going to be. No more so than ECW in the late 90s kind of made people go, oh, maybe you know a little bit more hardcore, a little bit more edgy. That's kind of the style that people like to see, a little bit more weapons and that kind of stuff. In 2005, Brian was really trying to turn that dial to people want to see, like the flair matches back in the day, time limit draws. They want to see guys wrestle for 60 minutes. They want to see guys wrestle for longer than that. He ran away with himself a little bit at some point and had to be reined back in. He had an idea for a match with Austin Aries. And this is the most stupid fucking thing ever. Mm. He wrestled all these one-hour draws because he liked the idea of being the champion like Flair who could survive that 60 minutes and be like, I'm still champion. And that would make someone want to see him get beat. His idea with Austin Aries was to have a best two out of three falls match each of those falls would have a 60-minute time limit. What? Fall one, fall two would both go to a time limit draw. Oh and in fall three, they would wrestle 45 minutes to 50 minutes before Brian would finally win. So he wanted to have a wrestling match that was longer than the extended cut of Lord of the Rings. Oh, let's do a bonus cinema swirl how to wrestling <laughs> crossover. Where you force Joe and Sam to miserably watch three and a half hours. The, the match never happened, don't worry. The match never happened. But Good, that's did. ridiculous. How would they even have the energy for that long? thought they could pace him out. That's ridiculous. Now, him and Aries did have some long-ass matches. And I mean, I've been on, you know, Cage Match and Profite Database. There's some great online databases out there. If you want to know about, like, longest matches in existence and stuff like that. And it's funny, when you narrow it down to one-on-one, non-Iron Man or non-gimmick or non-multi-man matches, in that top 20 list, Brian, friend this time, appears time and time again. It's him and Aries or all these guys he's wrestling for 60 minutes, 70 minutes. Wow. He wrestled Austin Aries once he was talking about it in his book and he was approaching 80 minutes and like half the audience had left. They were just leaving. 
This is too long. I think that is too long. At that point, like, so short matches are for new fans. Long matches are for old fans. And really fucking long matches are literally just for the wrestlers themselves in the match. <laughs> I mean, the longest wrestling match on record. And I... I was going to be saying stupid, like 48 hours, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, the, the actual longest wrestling match on record is, is, is just over two hours. From New, New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's Antonio Inoki and Masa Saito. And they wrestled in an island death match, which was them basically in the 80s wandering around this giant tropical island, slowly beating each other up, falling over trees and shrubs. And wow. Part of me wanted to watch that, but part of me thought there's probably another episode in there out of its own yeah. right, so we'll save that. The other longest wrestling match in existence, which I did show Joe, was from Chikara, which is something which we've not really watched much of for this podcast, and I really hope to rectify that in the coming months. But it was Darkness Crabtree taking on Lance Steele. The match lasted approximately 23 hours long. <laughs> it was when these two silly mass wrestlers locked up went, uh, and just kind of wrestled out. I love it. It was really slow, lumbering, boring, like build-up style wrestling. Even the four-minute clip we watched felt like the longest yeah. match ever. And they slowly went, uh, and wrestled outside. And then like the next night, down they just the road. vanished. Like, yeah, they're gone. Like, okay, they've gone. We'll just do the next match. I love as well that there's literally like 10 people in the audience and they're yeah. like, cool. Okay. <laughs> of course they vanished. Whatever. And then they just turned up like the next night. And everyone who was sitting there kind of going, cool, whatever. And as someone who has often done abstract things way above everyone's heads in front of 10 people for no payoff, I appreciated what Jakara <laughs> was doing there. I appreciated it a lot. Yeah. Time of the fall was 23 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, so brilliant. So our final match was not 23 hours in length. It was a long one, though, and it was Roderick Strong taking on Brian Danielson for his Ring of Honor World Championship at the height of Brian during his hard-on for long matches, basically. You keep forgetting who Roderick Strong is. Yeah, it's because I always think that someone called Roderick Strong should look like Roman Reigns or Braun Strowman. And Why? Because <laughs> he's called Roderick Strong. It's, I guess because his name is like an adjective, isn't it? Like, Strong, or... Strowman. That's Sounds true. a bit like strong. Roman Reigns is strong. Braun, strong man. <laughs> Roderick, strong. Yeah. You know, Daniel Musselson. You know, these are all strong wrestling characters. And instead he just looks like this is a bit of a honk, isn't he? I've been in this weird quandary with Roderick Strong. Every time we watch NXT, out comes Roderick Strong with his cool haircut and kind of go, oh, Joe, look at Roderick Strong there. Is he a honk? And, and I go, Who? Who's Roderick Strong? I don't remember him. He's he's not he's not who you think he is, I guess. So every single time, it's like, who do you think he's a honk? And you're like, uh, yeah, I guess. And then you forget who he is. And the next week, there's Roderick Strong. Who's that? And do you remember from last week, do you think he's a hunk? Uh, now, if someone is classed as a hunk, but is immediately forgotten mm. every single time... He that- looks a bit generic. He's very, like, he's generic handsome. I have this real issue at it with Roderick Strong and Austin Aries are two guys who I'm trying desperately to make Joe. Yeah, but like, I don't dislike Roderick Strong. He's okay. just he's just forgettable. Yeah, and I'm sure like oh, I don't think I'm going to forget him after this. Mm. But Austin Aries, I just don't like. Someday, someday you'll like Austin Aries. Maybe after I've seen him wrestle for three hours. Yeah. But yeah, I did put on this match kind of going. Well, you know, we've seen Daniel Bryan before. Roderick Strong is someone who Joe has seen a lot on NXT recently. And even if she even, doesn't remember. Even if she doesn't remember, he's with his best friend, No Way Jose, who you love. So I'm like, surely he'll remember. And the match starts. And I'm like, do you know who that is? And you go, no. <laughs> it's Roderick Strong. And I have the quote here. I have forgotten who Roderick Strong is. NXT, honey. Long pause. Oh, 
Him. Yeah, look at my notes. Oh, it's him. <laughs> I didn't even remember he was with nowhere. You saying just then he was with nowhere, Jose, I was like, I think Kevin's gotten that wrong. I don't remember him. I have remembered that. I, I'm actually doubting myself now. Please, is he with Roderick Strong and Noah Jose? They are friends, right? Please tweet in, let us know. <laughs> I think a little question I ask here. There's rumors going around swirling at the moment. We are, of course, in we're in spring 2017. Rumors of Daniel Bryan breaking his retirement when his contract is up and going back to wrestle against doctors' orders around the world mm. makes me very scared. What do you think? Oh, I don't think he's going to do it. Yeah, because I don't think he's an idiot. He shouldn't do it. I can understand why he would, but I don't think he should, especially with a baby on the way. Mm. I think that's really irresponsible. To if you've been told you're at risk for health conditions and wrestling will exacerbate that and shorten your career and lifespan. I think it's best to kind of just... He, it's not like he hasn't got other methods of being involved yeah, in wrestling. It really, it really upsets me when I kind of see... I'm worried that he is going to, to Yeah, I worry that because, of course, he is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And I think he's just not happy. Like He's, no, he's, he's, he's not, not happy not happy. doing it. But I don't think he should do it. Think of Bertie Bryan, okay? You're a really cool-sounding kid who's got the best name ever. I mean, that's all I'll say. Bertie Bryan, seriously, you know? Bertie Bryan or Bertie Bella? Or Bertie Bella Bryan? Oh, Bertie Bryan Bella. Triple B! Oh my God, Triple H, okay? The ultimate B-plus player is coming after you. I don't think I could enjoy a match with Daniel Bryan after knowing... I don't think I could either. It would just make me anxious. Uh, I really, really would as well, Mm. yeah. I love him too much. It'd be one thing if it's like some... You know, workhorse wrestler I don't give a shit about, but it's someone who really is is my hero. And and it's important, I think, for the wrestling industry that Daniel Bryan sticks around as long as possible because he is one of the best. Mm. But I don't think, I genuinely think he's a family man. He, you know, his whole life he's spent loving his family and his home. And he's, he is, he's that kind of like homeboy, isn't he? Yeah. I so just... I don't think he will. I think even though he wants to and it would be tempting... I don't think he will. God, so there you go. We can revisit this episode. Oh, I really in hope years, I'm right. Two's time. Hope we're not. Hope we're not incredibly wrong. I don't know. A bit scary. So this match, you know, really is is Brian at his peak here, and you can tell as well. This is a guy who's really trying to prove a point about making wrestling be this technical art form again. He is covered in welts from the night before. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like because Roderick Strong's chops. And his backbreakers are two of the sickest things in wrestling. And the chops he does on Brian are fucking horrifying. We start this match. Brian Danielson is already, his chest is disgustingly red from, <laughs> from, from strikes before the match even started. Yeah, I thought it was like Roddy did like one chop. I was like, holy shit, look at that. He's like 20 welts <laughs> on him from one chop. Because again, his heart will explode like. <laughs> so yeah, it was just war wounds from the night before. I can only imagine what this was like for Brian driving like eight hours between shows resting like this length of time because they do a lot of chops in this I tried to count I'm like I lost count it's funny because Brian was really trying to kind of go after you know go back to that flair era of like long wrestling and kind of wrestlers as being these technical gods and all that the difference was Flair was popping in a limo, probably being driven to his next mm. place with a nice bag full of cocaine and yeah. girls and whatever he wanted. Whereas Brian was squashed into a rental car with Colt Cabana and Sal Renaro and, you know, fucking driving for nine million years. Eating cold baked beans. <laughs> He's a rambling man, is Daniel Bryan like. I love seeing heel Brian here, John off with the fans. The Except problem is he keeps though, giggling. He is. 
It's terrible. Like a comedian who laughs at his own jokes. Every time he does something heelish, he giggles to himself. He is trying to be really mean. And he's actually, trying, yeah. It hurts the match. Like. Unless you pretend that that's his gimmick and that he's like, it's a heelish laugh. Like, ha ha ha, I caused you pain. Like, towards the later end of the match, you can see that he is doing this kind of smile as in like, yeah, I'm being a dick. But at the start, it just seems like, because Brian has that very he's particular... He's kind eyes. He does. He's kind of like, oh, I'm not really that mean. I'm, just being, I'm being a goof, guys, you know? Uh, Brian's chest starts to bleed as he works over Roderick Strong. Oh, it's like welts and stuff. It's just horrible. I, I did. I actually didn't like the number of chops and strikes and things. It made me quite uncomfortable. Well, I was going to ask, because the style here is probably more so than the previous match we watched. This is a lot more of the kind of the classical strong style of just big strikes punctuated with lots of you know heavy submissions and grappling and kind of you got a lot of instances of brian like putting a guy in a submission move and then like really like you know, rubbing his forearm and you know fish hooking guys and stuff like that it looks sore to do this kind of wrestling i'm sure it is sore they brawl outside roderick strong gets thrown into the guardrail i remember immediately why 2005 ring of honor shows are hard to watch those guardrails with the big metal fucking planks on them. Ouch! Seriously, they look terrifying. There is an intensity that you get in these types of matches that I think is is missing from a lot of wrestling these days. When you've got these massive chops, Roderick Strong chops Brian as hard as he can and Brian spits at him in the face. So Roderick chops him again. So Brian spits at him again. I just... There's something about that intensity that I just love about wrestlers willing to go to that length. I didn't like it. How so? I just it made me uncomfortable. Like I know how much it stings. I remember watching an episode of Louis Three where he goes and actually Roddy Piper's in it now, I remember. Yeah. And he went to this like wrestling training centre and they like kind of showed him how I think they were probably doing it a little bit over the top just to kind of really prove that wrestling isn't fake, right? But I remember they're doing a, a strike on his chest. Just one. And it going immediately bright red, welt, horrible fucking, looked sore as shit. And Daniel Bryan came out like that. Yeah. And then to have like over a hundred more applied to him. And you can hear them every time and it's getting redder and redder. When Roderick Strong is doing some of the chops down the stretch, when these lads are really, like these guys are sweating towards the end. They are like, they are not taking it slow at all. These guys are really doing like exhausting maneuvers to each other. But when he's doing some of the chops later on, it's almost like he's vaping because this big puff of smoke just comes off. It's all the beads of sweat. He's like got short arms, but big hands Mm. as Roderick Strong. They look like fucking cannonballs. They're really horrible looking. At one point, Daniel Bryan literally ties him into a knot. Yep. I love I love seeing Brian doing some of this weird kind of world of sports stuff, but like doing it as a heel, yeah. you know, as being like a mean, like he ties him in a knot and he's like, ha ha ha, keeps slapping him. You get to see him do I Have Till Five referee though. Yes, which we didn't get to see in How to Daniel Bryan. I was happy to finally get to see him do some of that. He does it like literally nine times Yeah. <laughs> Roderick Strong gets busted open after he gets smacked into the guardrail on the outside and Brian seemingly gets enraged by the sight of blood and starts going hell for leather these two just start chopping each other back and forth when brian gets chopped his eyes look like they're about to pop out of his head like he's seen a sexy lady in in an old cartoon or something like that yeah (laughs) he gets fucking chopped to shit and back and it kind of it gets to the point in the end of this match where i know these two are conditioned so well but you can tell that they're tired and beat up and sore and so much of their energy has been exhausted by trying to get out of these submission moves and maneuver each other around 
that I almost kind of at the end I was going, I think you guys have almost like made this a bit hard on yourselves. Yeah. Very little reward in that I, sense. I don't like it when wrestlers like kill themselves really kind of makes you a bit worried about brian going back if he's going to do this type of thing yeah the insane sequence of reversals in the end where roderick strong tries to get him in the stronghold but brian gets him with these sick sick elbows and just starts elbowing him with the corner right into the face and the match just ended and you got really confused as to the ending there but the actual ending was ruled a knockout because roderick strong couldn't intelligently defend himself and tell the referee that he, he submitted or he could give up he wasn't responding so the referee ended the match and that was kind of a cool ending I don't know what you thought of that as, like a, as a new way to end the match it was cool it was confusing though yeah what did you think of this one because this was one which I was in two minds about I know you like Brian but this was a style of wrestling that maybe you're not as familiar with and I don't know what did you think of it I found it a little bit much. Like I found it exhausting mm. to watch in a way that I didn't find the other, any of the other matches exhausting. Mm. Like this was like kind of almost emotionally exhausting in that it was I could tell how sore and horrible it would be to yeah. do. And the way they kept getting those nasty bumps against the barricade. Yeah. All the strikes, the chops, and I felt that the ebb and flow wasn't quite there. Mm. It was very fast-paced and very hard-hitting all the way through there was no time for rests it was either it was either hard strikes or pounding each other on the ground very mat based elbows to the head so yeah I found it a little bit tiring in that respect I guess did that make the match drag for you yeah it did how long did you think it was 55 minutes it was actually 50 huh I think that's the first one that you've actually overestimated on I'm not sure if that would yeah it's that's interesting because I wonder a lot of this ring of honor stuff which I remember at the time in 2005 people were like this is the best wrestling in the in the whole fucking world mm. bar none there's nothing like this these are the best wrestlers in the world doing the best wrestling in the world and there's a small part of me that is wondering now if some of that stuff from 10 years ago has aged quite poorly mm. because a lot of it is as you said a bit much yeah and it's not got maybe the crazy athleticism and the flips and the spectacular nature of a lot of the stuff you're seeing in Japan and WWE at the moment. I think if I enjoyed MMA more, mm. but I don't. Yeah. I, I find MMA, again, exhausting for the same reason. I don't like seeing people hurt. Mm. I, I watch wrestling because it because it's fake. No, it's not fake, but I I don't I don't like to see people injured. I honestly mm. don't. So when seeing all those hard hitting moves which are like it's not like Shinsuke who does hard hitting but makes it so theatrical you yeah. can kind of kid yourself that it's not gonna hurt. There's almost a lack of theatre in yeah, some of this, it's, isn't there? Yeah. It's, it's a lot more like amateur style wrestling in a way that I wasn't as keen on. I mean I say that as well as a fan of Brian and knowing that this was, you know, very intentional. He was trying to make people take rest and more seriously and I'm sure know. he achieved it with this yeah I, I think mean, it kind of reset the balance a little bit after yeah. the wackiness of the, the early 2000s and late 90s how many stars would you give this one I did give it 4 out of 5 because mm. it is a very good match and I do recommend that people watch it I think I would have enjoyed it more if we watched it sort of first thing this morning I was quite sleepy as well yeah. and like even with a big cup of coffee it's kind of like whoa 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 what the hell whoa, whoa. and then it's kind of like oh god it's it's still go. Oh my god, I'm tired just watching them. How are they not so tired? Oh my god. As a rule and then of a thumb, weird finish, and it was yeah. Yeah, as a rule of thumb, I've tend to find with you that guys slowly pummeling each other into oblivion doesn't seem to <laughs> do it for you as much. Yeah. What was your favorite of the four matches that we watched? If you were to pick one, easily Sting and Ric Flair. Easy. Wow. No, no contest. Do you think that watching these long matches as maybe 
change your mind on you know what you can do in a long match? I wouldn't avoid long matches now in the way that I might have done before this episode, but I think I probably would have enjoyed them if I had been watching wrestling a little bit longer. Like yeah. like I said, some of the matches you've required a bit of a wider knowledge. Are you thinking that maybe this would have been a tougher episode to do a year ago? Oh, yeah. I don't think I would have enjoyed Omega vs. Okada as much mm. a year ago. Or maybe I would have enjoyed it more. I don't know. Yeah. Because it's very flip-de-doo. Yeah. And I, obviously, a year ago, I enjoyed flip-de-doo wrestling... Like, it was incomparable to other styles, whereas now I'm a little bit more varied with my tastes. So, Steve did request this on Patreon with the express intent of using his money to cause you um, pain and suffering. Yeah. He did send the gif of Walter White with a big face full of money (laughs) underneath the uh, basement. (laughs) (laughs) What did you do with the Sting Flare match? I showed it to Joe. (laughs) Have you been made miserable in the way that you feared you may have been? I think I enjoyed doing this episode more than I didn't enjoy it. I'm glad that we did it for the one thing of that fucking Sting versus Ric Flair match. Amazing. I'm really mm. glad that we got an excuse to watch Kenny Omega versus Okada. Fantastic. I'm really keen as well that we got to watch this Roderick Strong and Brian Danielson match, even though I didn't enjoy it as much. Um, I say that giving it four stars. And as well, it was interesting seeing a Shawn Michaels-John Cena match, which I didn't enjoy. Yeah, honestly, that was the one which like, I thought was a total home yeah, run. Yeah, the fact that, the fact that <laughs> you thought I enjoyed that and I didn't, and you thought I wouldn't enjoy Sting and Ric Flair, and I did. Yeah. Turns out that I don't necessarily know what you love and don't love in wrestling as easily. I mean, I think that's good, though, because, I mean, it shows that your, your tastes are probably evolving and there's parts of wrestling you're still yet to discover and enjoy. And I think it just goes to show there's all these different styles of wrestling and there's all these parts wrestling we've not even remotely delved into which i think you're going to enjoy even more the more we explore definitely are there any of these matches that you think would have benefited from maybe not being as long in the tooth what you mean like objectively or do you mean from the perspective of a new fan well yes perspective of a new fan i mean you watching it do you think that the length hampered your enjoyment of any of these particularly or if you thought you know what there was a good match in here if you trimmed out 10 or 20 of these. I think the first match, Shawn Michaels versus Cena, yeah, that could have been shorter. I think the last match, Roderick Strong, Brian Danielson, could have been shorter. I think the middle two were fine. Good length. Yeah. Don't think I'd necessarily have enjoyed them more if they were shorter. I mean, I'm definitely excited to see more long matches on WWE, and there definitely seems to be a bit of a trend towards that. Obviously, having three hours of Raw to fill up and a lot of TV means that they are tending to do longer matches. I'll tell you, after watching Fastlane, I would have preferred one long match as opposed to wheeling out Ginger Mahal and Rusev for random nothing matches. And long matches is obviously quite an interesting one to talk about when uh, Goldberg's on the horizon down the line for us. (laughs) How to short matches. (laughs) Right, uh, we got a lot of requests for matches and really great recommendations, but let's check out some of the thoughts and comments you guys had with hashtag how to long matches. Let's look at some of the tweets. When you ride nothing but long limousines, you fly around in your own Gulfstream. Huh? You got the biggest house on the biggest hill on the biggest side of town. And you got any woman in the world you want. Just like that. Woo! And there's not much else, right? Now, Ronnie Garvin, 90 minutes, one hour, two days, it makes no difference. I used to pride my fact on every woman in the world calling me woo, a 60 minute man. Well, I can go 90 minutes just as easy as I can go 60. Dusty Rhodes, 
You're walking around now on false pretenses, trying to convince the whole world that you should be the world's heavyweight champion. But the bottom line on this whole thing is, when I slide out of this, there is only one, and I am, whether you like it or not, the world's heavyweight wrestling champion. So Jonah Dunn said, long matches are brilliant to show off the skill of the wrestlers, but it might be too methodical and not spot-festy enough for new fans. So that's what I was saying about the skill of the wrestlers. I think it really does. It is a perfect opportunity in a longer match to show what you can do that you wouldn't normally get the opportunity to do in shorter matches. But again, if you're a new fan, you wouldn't necessarily know that. Yeah, I mean, I always thought it was really, really funny because so much of the attitude era when I grew up watching, you know, the majority of the time if I saw Steve Austin or Mankind wrestle, they probably would wrestle for 10, maybe 15 minutes. And it was only, you know, much, 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 much later when I would see Austin wrestle when he was a lot younger or Foley wrestle when he was a lot younger. I was like, holy shit, these guys can actually go for these long matches. I always remembered in the middle of the Attitude podcast, there is an Ironman match, which is a 60-minute match, as many falls as you can get in those 60 minutes. And it was The Rock and Triple H. And being so blown away was like, holy shit, this is the first time we get to see these guys wrestle for longer than 15 minutes. And we... All of us on the Attitude Era podcast gained a new appreciation for those guys because you could finally see in 60 minutes this guy can do a lot more than you would have thought previously. Yeah. Shap Top says, When matches aren't live, it is hard to stay motivated sometimes. Long matches can have a lot of filler and fast-forwarding is tempting. Did you yeah. ever find yourself fast-forwarding through longer matches? Oh, I, I, that's my rule. Never fast-forward. So I think I probably... I would, I would have been tempted. God, that first match, Shawn Michaels and John Cena. Yeah, I would have been tempted. I mean, the reason why I never fast forward is because all the wrestling I watch now is for podcasts in various forms. So, you so have I'm to like, be paying attention. I can't fast forward because the boring bits is when the announcers say stupid shit or <laughs> when they might make a weird noise or where someone might spit. <laughs> Double Cross King says short matches should be longer, long matches should be shorter, and the very long matches should be rare. Yeah, I think having a long match. I think it's one of the benefits of WWE in the last few years is the fact that they had skewed towards short matches so much that when we were getting these random long ones with, with AJ and Cena and whatnot this year, they really felt special kind of coming out of the blue like that. I generally think that on a big show, particularly like a WrestleMania, you should have a long match in there. I think that is what people, in essence, are expecting to see if they're going to a big show. Interesting. I am Jay Walker says, multiple dimensions to the storytelling, just like the movie. They need twists and turns, and it is tough as a wrestler, but can be done. I think that's true. It's like I think it's much easier to have a better long match if it isn't like just for the sake of it. Like you do have that storytelling, that narrative. And it's funny because like Flair in his in his book talked often about the fact that you have to do these sixty minute matches with with everyone, and it could be he does a sixty minute match with someone who's awesome, and it could be that he's doing a sixty minute match with someone who was fucking awful. Mm. And it wasn't necessarily the case that you had to be the great wrestler to have the great 60-minute match with him. It was the case that if you were willing to do things a certain way or if the kind of the personalities or the styles clashed in a good way, then you could have a great match because the one we're watching with Sting, you're looking at a rookie there, really, and he still had an amazing match. So, yeah, you really do get to see what's on offer when you have that long bit of time. Jenna ACLB said, I've been a new fan for a little bit, but I just get so bored with long matches. Storylines are much more interesting to me than techniques. And I say, yeah, same. I think that's the, like, the one kind of thing that was missing for me from that Omega versus Okada match was the storytelling aspect. Like mm. that, 
I know it obviously did have a, a story to it, but the whole more theatrical side of it, I really do enjoy a lot as a as a newer fan. Yeah, no, we, we've that's often been uh, discussed here on How Interesting is that how you kind of prefer to see those stories. I mean, I guess it's just you know if you can incorporate that story into a long match, that's when you've hit gold. I think. Well, that's going to do it for How To Long Matches. Thanks, everyone, for all the amazing recommendations, your thoughts on this kind of unique and different episode. A big shout again to Steve Ward uh, for backing us on Patreon and requesting this unique episode. Our next episode is going to be another interesting one, another one that's slightly different, as it is around the corner, WrestleMania season, that is, the busiest month of the year for us wrestling fans, and even busier if you're a wrestling podcaster. We are going to actually do an episode focusing on the event itself. WrestleMania. It's going to be Ooh. how to WrestleMania. We're going to look at the history, the backstory of WrestleMania, how WrestleMania has changed over the years, some of the kind of marquee moments that have happened, some of the tropes that have happened across WrestleMania, and importantly as well, what WrestleMania means to the fans. So we're going to be watching the true story of WrestleMania, the documentary that WWE produced a few years back. We are, of course, as well going to be maybe looking at that with reality as opposed to the WWE version of history. But if you've got any thoughts, opinions on the greatest WrestleMania moments, what makes WrestleMania so special? Is it a case that it's just an overblown over-the-top show that always underwhelms and can never live up to its own hype and spectacle. Everyone talks about WrestleMania moments. Everyone's pointing at that fucking sign every time they mention at it. Has WrestleMania jumped the shark in recent years? Or is WrestleMania still the granddaddy of them all, even though they don't call it that anymore? We want to know your thoughts. Use the hashtag #HateWrestleMania. Favorite moments, iconic matches and memories. And as well, a little bit of discussion about that. Is WrestleMania truly the pinnacle of wrestling? Or have we come to a point where WrestleMania itself maybe needs a bit of a revamp or a rebrand or a rethinking? Let us know your thoughts using the hashtag how to wrestlemania that's gonna do it for this episode of how to wrestling thanks you everyone for listening in and for tweeting along with how to long matches and as always if you're following on itunes soundcloud or on stitcher make sure you leave us a rating or review subscribe go back and check out all our previous episodes and make sure you're following us on twitter at how to wrestling and facebook.com forward slash how to wrestling and give us your thoughts on our upcoming episode using the hashtag how to wrestlemania if you want to support the show, there are a number of ways you can do that, but the best way is, of course, via our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. We have a variety of tiers and rewards to suit every budget. From $1, where you can get access to my episode notes, and we're going to be uploading a backload of those really shortly, which we're excited about. And for $5, you get access to our monthly pay-per-view reviews, leading all the way back to SummerSlam 2015, all that time ago when... Was that when Sting and Seth wrestled, or was that a different That was the, 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 the episode after, which is Night of Champions. Oh, so but there you go, we talk about that as well. It's a really interesting look back at wrestling the past two years, and if you pay $5 and become our backer, you get immediate access to over 20 bonus episodes covering all of those pay-per-views, starting all the way back as Joe mentioned at SummerSlam 2015 it's certainly the most unique set of pay-per-view reviews that are available in the World Wide Web at the moment if you become a $10 backer you get access to our monthly live stream playing wrestling games Yakuza 0 and many many other things you get access to the entire back catalogue of all of those live streams if you happen to miss any of them for $50 you can be like Steve Ward and request an episode is there a topic a wrestler a theme is there something about wrestling that Joe needs to be taught about and do you want to help steer the good ship 
SS How To Wrestling. You can do that by becoming a $50 backer and letting us know what episode you want to request. A lot of people, Joe, have been requesting episodes for birthday gifts and anniversary gifts and Christmas gifts and just plain nice gifts for their mates. If you want to do that, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling and becoming our backer and thanks to each and every one of our backers you guys are amazing thank you for making how to wrestling a possibility but until our next episode how to wrestlemania it's going to be a goodbye from me kevin and a goodbye from me joe let us know your thoughts on the granddaddy of them all tweet in using the hashtag how to wrestlemania and we'll see you next time on another episode of how to wrestling see ya